you see this? Yep, yep, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right. Welcome well, to the Death well, of Glory well, podcast, podcast here in Studio K. My, my name is Jordan Parks, and I'm joined by my co host, Peter Rasmussen. Death and Glory Podcast exists to remind Christians to love our King, die with honor, and live with hope imperishable because Christ has been raised from the dead. Before we get started, we wanted to remind you to check out Puritan.pub. This is a digital safe haven for Christians seeking a social media alternative to big tech. It was developed by a dear brother, Aaron Shopwallet. And is a great way to connect with other believers. Open your browser and go to puritan.pub slash terms for more information. Also, if you're a fan of the show and would like to support Death and Glory, please visit our Patreon page at patreon slash media. This week we're glad to be joined by Jared Sparks. Jared is a pastor at Christ Church in Parvindale, Illinois. He is also the founder of the Shepherd's Crook, a ministry dedicated to counsel, care for, and teach pastors around the country. This includes intensive retreats for men and their sons, cohorts for fathers, and a podcast called The Shepherd's Crook. Jared is married to his wife, Jordan, and they have two boys. Jared, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so earlier this month, you put out an episode um, from, one, from one of your intensives, I believe, from the 2023 intensive, uh, called Christian Defensive Violence, uh, discussing the Christian's role in defending family and property with deadly force, and uh, responding to John Piper's kind of famous or infamous article from uh, Should Christians Be Encouraged to Arm Themselves? Mm-hmm. Um, so do you, have, uh, do you have anything else you'd like to tell us about yourself before we get started? Now, you guys pretty much covered it, except for the fact we have a, a third son on the way. We just uh, found out about a month ago that we're having a third boy. Pretty excited about that. And other than that, man, that intro was great. So appreciate it. And uh, yeah, if anybody's interested, they can, they can certainly set, check out the work at the Shepherd's Crook. And, uh, but uh, no, man, hit the nail on the head. Amen. 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 Wonderful. Yeah, yeah congratulations. That's awesome. That's awesome. I say that that's as someone with, with three sons. So that's, that's cool. Awesome. Very cool. Well, well, so, so I think I thought the um, rather than just having you totally rehash the whole talk, we could kind of go through and begin with just like some stuff that you hear from people who would call themselves pacifists. You know, I, I think we've probably all, um, you know, met Christians who would say stuff like, well, you know, we're not supposed to seek vengeance or um, but the Bible says, you know, don't the Ten Commandments say thou shalt not kill. So. Um, I know you, you, you kind of covered this in the talk. What, uh, how, how do you push back against those as, as a man, you know, where you are called yeah. to, um, bear the sword at times. So, you know, people who are like, Hey, mm-hmm. you should just love your neighbor, love everyone, blessed are the peacemakers, turn the other cheek. Where, where do you kind of push back against those? Yeah. Well, I, I, there's some sort of glamorous view of the pacifist within Christian circles. And even in, if you look at missionary biographies and there's a glamorization of the Christian willingly dying for the sake of those that, you know, don't know the Lord because our eternity is secure in Christ and theirs most likely is not. Therefore there's some sort of noble idea of a missionary or even a man laying down his life so that somebody that doesn't know the Lord could have their life extended and possibly, you know, one day come to repentance and faith in Christ kind of thing. And generally speaking, within these categories, there's there's category confusion. In the same way, when I was responding to Dr. Piper in his article, 
he makes just the simple confusion or the, the confusing piece of defense and revengeance and confusing the two categories and blending them into one. And I think the majority of people that are pacifists are also not just pacifists in the home, they're pacifists at the state level as well. And so there at least is some sort of consistency to say that not only is a man not supposed to de- defend himself or take the life of somebody that may come in as, a, as an intruder to hurt his wife or children, but also the state does not have the sword. So the state has the authority to lock somebody up. The state has has the authority to put somebody in probation, but the state does not have authority to take somebody's life. So they're continuing that category confusion, not just in the home, but they're confusing at the state level as well, the difference between vengeance and consequences for actions or capital punishment uh, as prescribed in the scriptures. And so when you take the sword away from the state also, it's not a, a stretch at all to see how the, the sword is taken away. The sword of defense is taken away from the father in the home as well. And so, I mean, this is, uh, you know, a long history in our, you know, in the Christian faith of, of Anabaptists, both Mennonites and Presbyterians, or not, not Presbyterians. Uh, I don't want to falsely categorize Presbyterians here. Um, it is, uh, you know, with Amish and with Mennonites, that is their background. And what Piper is simply doing is adopting, you know, that position and making these category uh, distinctions that are, that are not biblical and then flattening them out and saying they're the exact same thing. And so, you know, the, the weird thing about that Piper article is that he's so precise on so many topics theologically. And then on that topic, it's, it's a massive confusion. I think for, for a lot of men, there's a natural revolt that happens within them at the thought of letting somebody harm those that are around us. But what I sought to do in that talk, and I think is important for all of us as men, is we don't want to do our theology by way of gag reflex, meaning if if the thought of our wife being harmed makes us revolt inside, and it should, rightly, that shouldn't be our only piece as to why we land somewhere on, you know, doc, you know, in a doctrinal position. We have to have some sort of biblical background for that. And in the same way, I think the pacifists, they're internally revolting at the, the fact of eternal judgment. So and in that same way, they're they're doing their theology by way of, I don't know where their eternal, you know, the, what their eternal state is, but I know what mine is. Therefore, there's some sort of noble, you know, in, in them, noble cause that's coming out that's, that's seeking them or that, that's driving them to make that theological position. And so I, I think for them, I would just say, hey, you want to make sure that your theological position isn't rooted in what feels right to you, because that is a, a problem across the board for for everyone who does theology by way of what feels right. So I think just pressing guys biblically, that's where we always want to push them is, is biblically. And the, the weird thing is there is the Anabaptist that's that's coming just from the feelings, uh, you know, you know, side of things, maybe not just from the feeling side of things. But then there's guys like Piper that feels really weird to respond to because it's Piper, you know, like, I mean, who am I when it comes to talking to Piper about certain things? But I think you always want to drive people to the scriptures, just like you do with any theological conversation. Um, you want to go back to the scriptures and say, hey, let, let's evaluate this in light of, of uh, b- biblical revelation. And then also with the way God has wired us as men, that does matter. According to First Corinthians chapter 11, there's some something about nature itself that teaches us theological truth that we need to be in tune to. And uh, so I would just drive people to the scriptures to have that conversation, ask questions. And then some guys, even as they hear your response and, you know, as they hear even what I presented, you know, last month or a couple months back. They're going to hear that and they're going to say, no, I still think that turn the other cheek is a is a command for all times, all places and all moments. And I'm not going to protect my family and and they're going to be wrong, but they're still going to come to that conclusion. Uh, but I think it's it's right for us as men to think, think through those things before they happen. So kind of jumping off that, that, that last, last comment that you made, I know, I know like for myself, myself and, 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 and I think all three of those are in agreement on 
this position that I would most definitely defend my wife, my children in a, in a situation like that. I know that I'm tempted, and I'm sure other men would be tempted to see the see men on the other side of the argument as maybe weak or unmanly. Mm-hmm. Um, my question is, as a pastor, how how do you build unity around two groups of men who have opposing viewpoints on that? Yeah. Well, fortunately, we do have certain areas of disagreement within our church on things that most churches have disagreements on, you know, things like eschatology. I mean, even within our elder team, we have differing eschatologies. Our team is very, our church is very united doctrinally, but we would have differences also on, you know, understanding of the gifts of the spirit of what gifts continue on, what gifts do not. So there's general disagreements that I think are pretty common within churches. This particular issue is one that I would call men up to in, to a stronger degree than I would even with eschatology. So I would speak about this issue and the need for men to be united on this issue to a greater degree than even the conversation within a church. I don't think you have to be sectarian with issues on um, gifts of the spirit or issues with eschatology. Uh, and to a degree, even with issue, issues on soteriology, our, our elders have a shared confession that we don't require for our church as a, as a member of our church. So um, there's, when it comes to this particular issue though, it is an area where I want to say it's almost like a sectarian issue where we have to really challenge you to be united on this because it does come down to fundamentally there, there are good men in a sense, and depending upon how you define good men and that wrestle through this issue theologically and then come out the other side of it and say, no, I'm not going to defend my family, not out of a sense of, uh, I don't want to, I do want to, uh, I have that impulse. I have that masculine drive to, to protect and defend, but I'm actually going to, in these moments, suppress that because I feel like this is a theological issue that drives me to, to deny that part of, of me and to take up this passive mentality. So, but I think that is probably the minority of men. They come to that conclusion who do come to that conclusion. For instance, you know, the, the Hacksaw Ridge guy, there's some real strength shown in that movie from that guy who's acting on principle. It's a man who's convinced and acts on that principle. And any man that is a principled man, there's some something to admire about that. But what we do want to do within our church, with the men in our church, is we want you to be principled, but principled in the right way. To be principled about the wrong, on a wrong position, I guess there's some sort of admiration for a man who has a backbone about something, but we want them to follow that natural impulse and that theological requirement to be a defender, to be a protector, to be a provider for their home. And so I it would, it would require a lot of, 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 honestly, discipleship for a man that does come out of the other end on this. Most of them are doing that because they're naturally passive men. It's not because they've theologically studied it and they're very strong men and they just ha- have to suppress that strong desire to protect or defend most of the men are are looking for a way out of using their strength the way God has designed their strength to be used. And so I would want to make sure and just ask it and find out for the guys in our church, if there's a guy that says I'm a pacifist, I would want to find out why and how they ended up coming to that position. And then I would want to challenge them because that is an area that I would want us to be united on. And they're going to be very uncomfortable for, for, you know, in our church anyways, and in most churches, probably your church as well, if they come to that position and they're the kind of guy that's just not going to do that, 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 you know, see somebody that's concealed carrying because they want to be the sheepdog, they want to protect, and they revolt at that, you know, they, they kind of recoil. Well, that's going to be a very hard position to maintain over the long haul 
within our church because we're going to continue to press on that. And because that's just, that's just the norm. Uh, we, you know, there's more people in our church that carry on a Sunday morning that don't, I mean, it's not like we have a very large church, but, um, or, or if it's not more, it's pretty close. So there's, there's a, a culture then within our church. And I think that that is a good thing. It's a good thing within a church to have a culture where the men recognize their responsibilities and the peer pressure then is a holy peer pressure, not, not only with natural law, but, but with what's revealed in the scriptures to say, this is your obligation. And so I would say the majority of guys that are taking the pacifist position are weak men. They are weak. They are men that, that need to be challenged in that particular area. And I'd say it's a small minority of guys that are the guys that have the backbone that are real good men in other areas that are just somehow misguided on this, uh, this particular theological point. So I think it would require for the pastor and for the men in the church to challenge them up to the, to the position of, of, Hey, brother, that impulse within you is right and good is God given. And there's also theological rootedness here. And it's, a, there, there, there's a theological, you know, a broad theological agreement here of why we can take up arms, why we can take up the sword, why we can do that when it's needed, not to be some sort of aggressive men to prove ourselves or something like that. So in, in time within a church that has a healthy and a robust understanding of what a man, what a man is, it is going to end up being sectarian, not necessarily by saying you have to be this kind of man to be here, but naturally the guys that aren't are going to end up finding churches that they're more comfortable in. Yeah, that's a good point. What, um, going along with those sort of theological reasons, what are some passages in scripture um, that you pull out to challenge men, um, both those who maybe are on the kind of more passive side, but also um, helping men who are naturally inclined to protect um, mm-hmm. saying, hey, here actually, like you said earlier, it shouldn't just be a gut reaction. Here are uh, biblical reasons for why you should be doing this. Yeah, well, that's those are good questions to ask because you've all seen the guy that's that's the guy that's got the little man syndrome that's always looking for a fight or the guy whose wife has too much power in their marriage and so that power of the man that's suppressed in marriage comes out in other relationships comes out in friendships and they're abrasive i mean that the 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 manly power that god has given us that authority comes out somewhere and if it can't be rightly expressed in the home this is the kind of guy that's really brash in public or in other friendships and he ends up being abrasive with his buddies and his buddies tolerate him, but that, that power does come out somehow. And so guys want to, you know, have that power channeled in the right sort of way. So number one, they've got to be, you know, in the scriptures, recognizing their authority in the home and that authority is the right kind of authority. You know, that, that ruler authority, that lordship authority, that power authority, as it is in the civic realm has to be wielded for the good of those that are under their care. And so the, the man has to be submitted to Christ, number one, if he's going to express this, this defensive impulse in the appropriate way. If he's going to, this, this aggression is going to come out in the right way. He's got a man that's first submitted to Christ in the, in the kingly rule of Christ. So he has to know that he's a man under authority and he is submissive, submissive to Christ. But then he's got to turn his attention to Christ. So if I was walking through a guy, you know, with a guy, if I was walking through this process, I'd say, look, what, what does Jesus do for his bride? Uh, Jesus protects his bride, doesn't he? Does, does he uh, do what Adam failed to do? And then you look at this, you know, you go to the garden and in the garden, and a lot has been said over this, over, over, the, over the last several years. And Michael Foster's done a good, I know, you, I know you guys have had him on your show, done a great job of recognizing this and several others. I mean, and I know I saw Aaron Rand was on your show as well. And, uh, and you know, Eric Kahn and a lot of the guys have been talking about this. 
for several years now. And one of the things that I've tried to encourage guys with is, is recognizing these masculine sins that are given to us from our father, Adam, that are passed down that have been well documented, really back to Driscoll, even in the last 20 to 30 years, talking about either, you know, this weird aggression that men can have that is this domineering aggression or this passivity that's there, this passive impulse that's seen in the home, it's seen in the church, and then it's seen in the civic realm as well where guys are just passive in all three areas of life. And even when it comes to self-governance, you know, generally those guys are passive when it comes to self-governance as well. So what I would encourage them is, is recognize the contrast between Adam and Christ, what Adam does for his bride and what Christ does for his, his bride. But also even in from old Testament law, we see Exodus chapter 22. We see that a man has jurisdiction in his home to protect his property in the night and the, the Bible makes a differentiation between in the night and in the day when it comes to defending your house. If somebody comes over in the daytime, usually their motives for coming over in the daytime are different than somebody that's breaking in at night. And in Exodus chapter 22, verse 2, if I defend my property, this isn't just defending my wife or children. This is just material things within my home. And the perpetrator is killed well then there's no blood guilt on my hands and on your hands and this is a you know as we are as, as confessional people even as you just look at the general equity of law there's some things that, that roll over that are good principles for us to consider to, to say hey if somebody breaks into your home in good conscience you can defend your property and then when you just take that verse and apply the the principle of jesus in in luke chapter 22 where he says take up your sword there's a time if you don't have a sword take your money bag the only reason for a sword. And this is one of the responses I gave to John Piper is Piper said that the, the sword is not to be used to defend yourself. And yet in the history of the world and down up to this, up to today, the sword, the only intended use is defense or offense. That's it. There's no other use for a sword. You can't hunt with a sword. You can't go out. I guess there's some guys that go hog hunting and they take dogs out and they tackle the hog and they stab the hog to death. But, uh, you know, I don't think that's happening, you know, uh, in and around Jerusalem. And uh, so the only thing to do with a sword is the, the only option is to defend. And we know that we're not ever to be the aggressors. We're not ever to go on offense with with weapons or even with our physical body, you know, to take, to take, to take the strength that we have and to use it in a way that's hurt harmful to somebody else is prohibited by the scriptures. We're not doing that. Now, if somebody comes to our doorstep, though, that's a different story. So what I would do is just walk through like I would with any of the guys that I'm discipling and just go through it with any theological category. Just say, let's look at this scripturally and let's consider these things. And what does Jesus do with the sword? You know, Jesus actually takes the sword to his enemies. And when the sword comes in, and that's Jesus in on the offense, when the sword is used on defense, if I use the sword on defense, then my conscience is going to be clear that this is the means by which God has brought judgment to this man who's come into my home. And if if on one side, capital punishment is there for those who violate the Ten Commandments and actually do commit murder, and the right and holy judgment is capital punishment, life taken is that important to, to say another life is going to be taken because of that. Well, then on the flip side of that, if you reverse it to say, well, then if I defend then what to what point can I defend this life from being harmed? And if that moment has come where that life is going to be harmed, then the judgment that God has given on that man through the means of my sword is to say, this man deserves to die. So I'm going to protect one life by taking the life of another and then sleep well at night. I mean, when I say sleep well at night, it doesn't mean, God forbid, 
any any situation like this ever happen. It doesn't mean that I relish the fact that I get the power to take somebody's life or that any man should take the life of somebody else or that they would just feel good about it, you know, that they go to bed. But what I mean is before Holy God, I mean, you're going to be running that through your mind probably the rest of your life if you ever have to be in that situation. You're going to have to live with that. But one of the things you have to live with when it comes to that, or you want to be able to live with, is that knowing that you did something according to God's law and that your conscience is clear before the Lord um, when you had to, again, God forbid, pull the trigger. So I would walk through that. What does Jesus do with a sword? How does Jesus protect his wife? And in the Old Testament, do we have uh, either a prohibition or a limitation upon that uh, that particular thing, defending your home? And then in the New Testament, is there any explicit commands? And, you know, the guys will always talk about Jesus talking about turning the other cheek. But when you take the turn the other cheek thing and, and say that that is um, a, in every situation in all of life, it's the exact same situation. It's different. You know, brothers, if I'm getting harmed physically, um, it, it's easier for me to turn my cheek if my family isn't right here. And, uh, and you know, if somebody's coming to me and, and punching me and then also punching my family, that's a different situation than somebody just coming to me to harm me. It's a totally different situation. And so to take Jesus' command to turn the other cheek and then apply it in every situation that we could possibly come up with is unfair. And it takes it further than what Jesus would even demand of us. And so I would go through and look at what Jesus does for his bride and then look at those other passages and then wrestle with those for somebody that's, you know, dealing with that or struggling with that particular issue. So moving from um, biblical precedents for that, um, church history-wise, do you know maybe some of the prominent opponents of of this view um, just off the top of your head? Well, the classic breakdown in the disagreements here would be the Anabaptist with the other reformers and even the Catholic Church down through the history of the church. So there has been a lot of unity in responsibility because down throughout the history of the church, we've had a real understanding of, of family government, church government, and church uh, and, and civic government and the responsibilities of, you know, a, a man. And down through history, there was a, it, it necessitated a man to protect the family. It, it's almost like a first world argument, even though when you look at the Anabaptist argument, argument it does go back beyond just the first world arguments into times when men did have to protect their families and so it is a little bit of a head scratcher about how that developed but um i don't have the figureheads of the arguments in, in front of me or in my mind as i've looked back on it and studied in church history but i, I know you know the big categories you look at you know the reformers and even the catholic church there's a lot of there's a lot of unity in the obligation of the man to be a protector within the home and then you have this this break with with the Anabaptists, where there is a you know, there's a lot of differences that the Anabaptists have with the English yeah, Puritan tradition and even within the Catholic Church as well. So the break generally is in those big categories. When you look at the Mennonites, when you look at that the the uh, Amish, all the way back to those original Anabaptists, that passive argument it, it all kind of grows from there. And uh, so I don't have the real big figureheads, other of like the names, but other than those groups of people, but there has been a great unity in the history of the church and understanding of the masculine role or the male role within a home as a protector. And, uh, and so you'll, you're actually going to have, you know, as you study church history or you read, you know, your favorite authors, it's kind of a, uh, there's a lot of given things that are there that the man is the protector of the household. And that's one of the things that has, has naturally been understood down throughout the history is, is just internally it, because of, you know, that first Corinthians chapter 11, what part of the, uh, the confusion within Corinth about gender goes back to things that should be just known in na like nature itself teaches us this guys come on 
you know, apart from the whole natural law argument that everybody's having right now with Aquinas and everybody has within the last year with Aquinas and, and should we accept Aquinas or not? And, and that's in your neck of the woods, guys. A lot of argument up there. But, right, 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 you know, First Corinthians, First Corinthians 11, it, it presupposes a like, guys, nature teaches us certain things about men and women that we should we should know cross-culturally and cross-generationally. That there's there's differences here, and so a lot of the writers down throughout the history of the church have just known this that this is this is a right God given impulse that is there that you protect your family, and th- this is, we don't have a nine one one call that we can just pick up, you know, in the seventeen hundreds and say, you know, hey everybody nine one one we've got somebody over here uh, we need police officers, which is a huge problem of Piper's argument, right? Is that you've got to call the police officers? <laughs> well, I mean. To a degree, I get what he, you know, to agree to, to a degree, you know, I guess that could make sense in his mind, but around the world, where are you going to call, I mean, like in the Middle East right now, or down through tribes of Africa or something like that, in, in Christian households, they don't have a 911 hotline to call. And so, man, I don't have the names of the people in history, but with these big categories, you know, as you read in church history, there's just a lot that's assumed there because nature itself teaches us this. And then these, these. Uh, this robust understanding of, of government that goes beyond just civic understanding of government that goes into the, the, the government of the household, the church, and, and then and then the state was really well known uh, by so many, so many that's being rediscovered today, um, almost by necessity from the last three. I mean, how many people have been talking about, you know, sphere sovereignty and Kuiper and, and Kuiperian thought the last three years because of what we saw with 2020? Hmm. And uh, so when you get into church history, there's just things that are assumed there that uh that aren't really um not that this doesn't have a robust robust uh, uh conversation down throughout history but there's so much that's assumed as you as you read it and so the big breaks are you know with the anabaptist and everybody else basically yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah I, I mean i think they're kind of going along with that natural desire you know man's natural desire to protect his family and, and that being a good thing um i think you mentioned in that talk uh, a book raising modern day night and, mm-hmm. you know, I know just like speaking to my family, like I've, my, my kids know I have firearms. I've, I'm, they're pretty young, but I've taken them out shooting a couple of times, you know, trying to teach them, you know, basic firearm safety, you know, stuff like that. Um, but like, you know, my four-year-old, he'll get all excited. Like, Dad, you know, if, if a bad guy breaks in, we're, we're going to shoot him or, you know, you're going to shoot him, you know, stuff like that. Like he just knows, he's like, you know, Dad, you're going to protect the family and it's your job and, you know, we're going to get him. But, you know, my response is, you know, son, the Lord willing, that'll never happen. You know, like he gets real excited about that. But how as a father, how should we be, you know, teaching sons to wield the sword? How can we be a good model for them? And, um, how can we raise them up so they are ready for this, you know, in hard times? Yeah, man, that's really good because the, the biggest part about wielding a sword or wielding anything with that is dangerous is the man himself. It's, it's not the tool. It's the man himself. And in any area of life, how do you use the tool? The man uses the tool and the tool is, is there and it's a morally neutral thing. And how is it wielded then? And that's going to depend on, on the character of the person that picks up the sword, the gun, the tool, whatever it may be. And so a huge part of that is that 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 conversation that you just had, you are preparing him for, you know, being the kind of man that's that's hesitant to not not that he's hesitant to a, to a degree that he can't act, uh, but he's not uh, the aggressor. And, you know, part of that is fun with boys where they're just running around, they're just hitting anything and they're acting like they're defending and all of that. That's a good impulse to to come out of there. In fact, when I'm talking about rites of passages with my boys, 
one of them is you've got to be a, pro- a protector. And so you are going to be trained in firearm safety. And they already know this. My, my son just shot a gun last week, a gun that shall not be named in Illinois. Um, we currently have a, an unconstitutional gun ban and for the first time shot it. And, you know, he knows, figure out the trigger, know where you're pointing, always pointing it in the direction where the nobody's there. It, it, you know, so he knows these, these elements of gun safety. But even more than that is this character development side, because I want him to be to the point where he's a young man and he's 16, 17, 18 years old. And when he gets into the place where he can be head of household for his family, that he's not a hothead, you know, the, the rough edges of, you know, youthful and pride, you know, youthful pride, youthful arrogance of, you know, being the kind of guy that's, <clears throat> you know, that's wanting to show people how many guns he has. And he's wanting to show people that he can, you know, defend and this kind of thing. That's, that's, that, that kind of abrasive, abrasive uh, aggression has to be, you know, through the power of the Holy spirit and the father, the the heavy hand has to be there of the father to say, hey, that that's not the kind of man that's ready to protect a home. So the big key is that that development of the young man to be ready to be able to be able to handle dangerous things. And so the conversations, uh, Peter, that you're having with your son about that to, to say, hey, Lord willing, this never has to happen. You know, we, we don't want this to happen. But if harm comes to our doorstep, we've got to be ready. Prepares that young man to be the kind of guy that's not going going out out of his doorstep looking for a fight. And he's got to be the one that, that's ready to end a fight if need be, but he's not out looking for it. And so a lot of that is character development. It's raising our sons, you know, in, in a way that they are godly young men ready to be able to take take over a household uh, when God brings them a wife. But they're not the aggressive in the wrong sort of way. Right aggression is good. Wrong aggression is bad. And so we want to do that through character development and seeing the Holy Spirit really sanctify them. I mean, that's what we want to see. We want to see them walking with the Lord, humbly before God and men. And be the kind of guy that can handle power. Yeah, uh, you know, we saw something like that recently here, not too far away. Uh, you know, there was like a in the Northland uh, up here. There's there's like a fender bender or something in a parking lot, and uh, one guy's there. I think with his, I think it was just his wife. I don't know if his rest of his family's there, and he's younger, and he gets out. The, the older man was the one who had backed into him. And, you know, he's like, hey, can I get some insurance information, stuff like that. Like, shouldn't be a big deal, right? Um, the older man basically just becomes belligerent and ends up pulling out a gun. Oh, my. And the wife, in, you know, in the news story, the wife says, I heard my husband saying, you know, what are you going to do, shoot me? And the guy ends up murdering him right there in broad daylight and wow. not over a fender bender. Um, turns out, you know, he was hammered drunk and stuff like that, but you know, the police, police got him, you know, he's facing charges, but you know, one of the things that we see so often in society today is this kind of like very rash or hasty action, um, in taking the life of someone else. And I've heard, um, I've heard, you know, people talk about that as the lack of a father's influence in people, you know, in young men's lives. And that's part of, they learn how how, they they grow up very emotional and hasty and rash because they don't have that father to teach them to be measured, Mm -hmm. precise, and self-controlled. I think self-control was one of the uh, points you hit upon uh, in your talk. Would you, would you be willing to expound on that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, guys, my voice is really growly today. I I forgot to caveat at the beginning. We've been having VBS all week and I'm the rah rah guy at the beginning of the serve or beginning of vbs night and so i've been screaming all week long and so <laughs> that's why my voice sounds a little off to all your listeners i sound a little like a, a an 80 year old smoker right now um 
It's but, very, uh, it's very, yeah, 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 I think it sounds great. Okay. There we go. Good, good. That's what I was going for. Perfect. Um, yeah. With self-control, it's kind of like I'd said earlier uh, about authority and power. God has bestowed authority and power on men. And if the man doesn't have the self-control to know when that authority and power and where that authority and power needs to be expressed, he'll express it in all the wrong ways and in all the wrong places. That authority and power is meant to be expressed for the good of those in their home. And that self-control is first manifested in a man's life. Just when he's alone before him and God, he's the same kind of man that he is in in his office or in his car going to work that he is on you know Sunday morning as they're at, at church worshiping together. He's self-controlled. And he also wields that authority and power within his home. And so he rules well. He doesn't rule with an iron fist, nor does he rule with a limp-wristed fist. He is a, a limp-wristed hand. He, he is the kind of man that is able to do that. And in the same way, and then when he goes to work or wherever he goes, so the guy that, because he has power, because he has authority, if he doesn't have a father to show him that self-control, like I said earlier, that little little man syndrome comes out where it comes out in all the wrong places for this guy. It comes out through, you know, when he's hammered, he's an angry drunk and he didn't know how to control it. And he didn't know how to control his drinking. He didn't know how to use something that is dangerous, that has, you know, that it's a blessing from the Lord, but it's also dangerous and alcohol in the same way as a firearm. Those are really good examples here of two things if used wrongly can end up badly. And this guy is going to end up in jail. Because he misused alcohol and he misused a firearm, and these are when you do misuse things that have power, or that that have the ability to have uh, an influence on your life, then if you aren't the kind of self controlled, self governed man that that knows how to use the aggression and the way it's to be meant to be used and that that authority and power, then you you can end up easily behind a jail cell. And how many men uh, have ended up either shedding their own blood or shedding the blood of somebody else because they couldn't handle that authority and that power? And it's given it's given by God. It cannot be suppressed even the, the the only thing that can be done is you can smoke weed and watch video games and, and you can do this but at some point or another even the man that's this really passive man there's going to be some area of his life where that aggression comes out and that's one of the ways i think that video games are so popular is because that is a power outlet it's it's a it's a fake fantasy power outlet but it's some way in which the power of the man comes out there's no way to suppress it it's going to come out some way and that's why I think that, you know, from 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 uh, uh, every, everything in our society today, looking to pacify men, they're they're trying to control their aggression in all the wrong ways. And it's happening through through the video game thing. Not that video games are always bad or anything, but um, but it, but the man has to have that self-control. And so when you don't when you're not taught that and when we have a fatherless society, which we do, then you are going to have men that don't know how to use, power, you know, dangerous things. And that's why right here. Um, our, we are lords and rulers of the earth here that we raise our kids that way. And what happens in 20 years, 15 years. And when Christian men, the guys that are listening to your show are raising different kind of men, men that do know young men that do know how to have power, they're going to stand out like right now, a way for a young man to stand out in the world is just show up to an interview. I mean, it's really easy for a young man to stand, stand out in the world. He shows up dressed appropriately, you know, just have a tucked in shirt and, and a pair of pants on. Or if you're showing up to a blue collar work, you show up with your tool bag or, you, you know, appropriate clothing. And you look somebody, you look at a man in the eye and shake their hand. And guys are ready to hire young men that just can have a good handshake and look, you know, they're, they're a young man that can look you in the eye. And uh, if we raise our men the way God would have us, our young men, then they're going to be the kind of men that stand out in the best sort of way in 10 to 15 years. And the world is fatherless right now, but that doesn't mean that our children are fatherless. They're not. 
And so we're going to be the kind of men that are are doing what most of the men in the world aren't experiencing right now. And we're going to do this the way God would have us. And uh, and so there's a real charge for, for Christian men. Hey, there, there's a glory here that's there for us to bestow upon our sons. And let's do it. Let's not miss the ball. Let's get on the front end of this. And let's not be the kind of guys that, you know, when we're 18 years old or when they're 18, he looks back and thinks, well, I wish I would have been more intentional for the last, you know, 18 years. If we're going to err, let's err on the side of even goofy intentionality. I mean, whatever it may be, do what we can to raise our sons to where they're the kings of the earth. I mean, by the Lord's, with the Lord's help. Amen. Amen. I couldn't say anything better. So let's let's take take the... the Let's take, let's take the young, the young man. man. Let's, let's take, take the man, man who who is wise, <clears throat> who knows the Lord, who's walking with the Lord, um, and who has a has commitment a to protecting his family. family. Maybe he owns, he owns a couple, a couple firearms. firearms. Maybe he even he takes, takes it out, out to the range a couple times a week, or maybe a couple times a month. On the back end, after, like you said, God forbid. On the on back, back end of a situation where a, 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 the trigger has, has to be pulled, what are what some are ways, ways that those men who are trying to be wise need to, to – what are some what things, things that they need, they need to think, think through, through um, mm-hmm. as, as far as, far as, as a post-shooting situation? situation. Because, because we live in an yeah. era where – especially, of course, you know. You live in the great state of Chicago. It's no longer Illinois anymore. You know, where it's these – Progressive, Progressive left-wing prosecutors, um, it, it's anti-gun, it's, you know, we don't even want to give you the opportunity to defend yourself seemingly. Um, what are some things that guys who are being wise need to think through? Uh, insurance, concealed carry permits, things like that. Can you, can you kind of run us through that? Well, I do have several friends that have concealed carry insurance. That is, it can certainly be a wise thing, but first off, you have to know legally, this has to be a legal, a lethal situation. You're not shooting on somebody because they are stealing your TV or something like that. Uh, you've got to know that this is an imminent threat. And also, if you're doing this, and this is a, you know, whoever's alive has the narrative, you know, um, take that what you will. Um, if you are going to pull the trigger, you have to know that this is, you, you can't, in other words, you can't be laying, you're laying your head on the bed, uh, pillow at night. Let's to go back to that same scenario. And you're thinking, should I, or should I, should I have not? Was he coming at me or was he not? Was he going to hurt my family or was he not going to harm my family? So the first thing is knowing when you can pull the trigger and when you can't pull the trigger when it comes to defense. Uh, the second thing you're going to need is uh, certainly pastoral care. Not, um, you know, you don't have to run to a therapist or anything like that. Go to your pastors and get your buddies and whoever it may be, the, the guys that you run with. And if you have a difficult thing to think through, you don't have, you know, certainly you can talk to your wife to a certain degree about that, but you also need to know that you need brothers and you need a, a your pastors to be able to help you through that. Um, but the first thing is the most important thing. In Illinois, you're right. It is the great, the, the terrible state of Chicago. And we are, are experienced the, you know, the horrific consequences of living in this state because of that. And I say I'm from Southern Illinois, by the way, I don't, I don't claim Illinois, Southern Illinois is where it's at. Um, it's, it's but like the first and most important right, thing. Right, 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 right. You what? Yeah, exactly. Eastern That's Missouri. what we're hoping for. We're praying. Yeah. Eastern Missouri. We're, we're praying that in brother. That's what we're doing. We're praying that in. All my family has moved from Illinois to Missouri. They all live in the Southeast Missouri now. And we love it over there, but uh, this is where God has us. So the first most important thing legally is 
uh, not on the backside, it's on the front side. So you're, you've got to know on the front side if this is legal or not. And if it's not legal, don't pull the trigger uh, in, in the sense that uh, if, if they're, you know, like I said, they've got a TV and they're running out of your house. My, my goodness, just uh, get them out of your house, shut the door and then stand guard and stay up all night if you have to call the, call the police if you have to. Uh, but but know when you are illegally able to pull the trigger. And that's when lethal force is coming upon you or others. No other situation or scenario. So. Uh, obviously the man that was pulling a gun in the traffic accident, that, that gun never should have been pulled out of his you know, holster ever. Yep, and yep, uh, yep. so <clears throat> the backside of that is, you know, if you do, you know, get in that situation, you, you know, having some sort of legal help can, can, uh, can uh, certainly help you. But honestly, I'm not a huge expert on, on the backside of that. All I know is that you need to know on the front side, what your legal limits are and you need to not be trigger happy. And afterwards, you're going to need some pastoral care. Most likely you're going to need your buddies to walk with you because it's going to be a difficult, difficult thing. Cause uh, again, you've got to live with that. I mean, the guys that have been th- through, through war, the guys that have had to pull the trigger, they do live with that the rest of their life. That's not going away. That memory is not going, going away. And so they're going to need to have some sort of brothers to walk with them for sure. And I think, you know, we can see, we can at least understand the pacifist argument, at least from the eternal perspective, you know, I can't imagine what it would be like to be an instrument in God's hands to send somebody to eternal damnation. I mean, that is a very weighty thing to think about. And so, um, even though we said, um, you know, it would be difficult, it would be difficult to, you know, sometimes have unity with someone who wouldn't protect their wife, but on the flip side, I, I can, I can definitely see where they're coming from on that angle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But the thing that, that people have to remember is that even though in that situation, the man did pull the trigger to defend, it was God himself that was bringing the judgment. So the means by which God's judgment came, not my judgment. This isn't my judgment on this man's life. This is God's judgment on this right, man's right, life. Right, 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 right. And this man cared, cared more cared more about harming my family than he did protecting his own life. And or stealing something from not stealing something from my home, but breaking into my home, being the aggressor. He cared more about things he shouldn't have cared about. And so the pacifist or the man that does pull the trigger eventually has to come to realize that this is God's means of judgment. This that I pull the trigger, but this was God's sovereign, sovereign act of judgment on this man's life and have to be at peace with that, that that I don't want to when I'm not at peace with that. When I am wrestling with that in not <clears throat> not that I'm asking, not going to ask questions or not, not going to find certain things difficult about that situation. I, I don't want to say that the guy that pulls the trigger will never have any issues because he's got peace with God and he's, you know, that kind of thing. However, we can get in this weird God complex where where we think that uh, I I was the judge of that man or I I didn't send him. I didn't send him to hell. I didn't judge him. This was this was God's means. I, this is the means by which God judged God judged him. And I think reminding ourselves and telling, I mean, we have to remind ourselves of, of our justification daily. We have to remind ourselves to deny this, to deny ourselves and take up the cross and follow Christ daily. And this would be one of those scenarios. We'd have to remind ourselves, okay, God, I trust you and I trust your judgments. And I trust that help me today as I'm, you know, when those thoughts come again, God, give me wisdom and help me to know and, and just trust you as my heavenly father, that, uh, that I'm in your hand and that, that I did the right thing. And, uh, and then trust that he will, and then he does. He he helps us. The Holy Spirit would 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 help that man in that situation. It's good word. One of um, kind of taking the flip side of that. 
Um, one of the things that we're, you know, trying to encourage people to do uh, on this podcast is think through death ahead of time. So um, mm-hmm. maybe it's a defensive situation where the father is actually laying down his life for the family. So could you mm-hmm. talk us through that sort of reality from a man's perspective? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a real situation where you don't have the firearm, you don't have the sword, but you still have your obligation to protect. And the man is there, the and he's he has wielded whatever weapon he has. What's your obligation? Well, your obligation is to fight to the death, and that's it. Is to to protect in that way, and it could end up with your life, um, you know, being taken. And every man, again, this is a God forbid situation. We don't want these situations to happen, but every man has to be willing to do that. And I think most men are, <clears throat> whether they realize it or not, in that situation, they're prepared for that. And there's this. God gives them the strength in that moment to do what's required. And, and I would say that's, uh, again, for, especially for Christian men, most Christian men are willing to do that. And most, honestly, most pacifists would be more okay uh, standing in front of somebody that's trying to do harm. They, they'd be more okay with that than they are. They're still okay with defending their family, just not defending their family with a firearm or with a weapon. They, they would stand at the front door and say, no, you can't come in here. You know, there's, there's, there's very few pacifists that follow that 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 theological point all the way out they're not opening the door and saying no i'm not going to give you any opposition because the moment you give any opposition you're arguing the theological point of defense and most, most pacifists even are at least going to stand at the door they're going to say no you can't uh, i'm not going to let you get in the way of my family or, i'm not going to let you have a clear path to my family i'm going to stand here in defense and that argues the point i mean that 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 settles the discussion but most men are going to do that and You've got to, again, with the death, we're thinking about your own death is a weird thing because you think about all the, you know, my family and what's the, you know, conversations going to be and you want joy to be there. And yet, you know, you don't, you know, you want your children to forget you or anything like that. That's just, it's weird to think about. Um, but you've got to trust the Lord too, that if, if my life is taken, then God is going to take care of my family. And ultimately, sometimes the way that God takes care of a man's family is the man laying down his life so the family lives. And that's the way, the means by which the family is taken care of. And then in the same way that, that God has protected that family through that man dying, God will take care of that family somehow or another on the, on the, on the backside of that. And so we just got to be willing to, you know, face death whenever it comes and to trust the Lord with that. Anything, Anything else, else uh, you want to comment, comment on? on? I think that kind of the end of our, end of our questions what here. Um, yeah, well, I had a guy that emailed, listen to the listen to the talk, and he comes from an Anabaptist background, and he emailed mm-hmm. me, said, I'm on the way to get my first firearm, and he's going to um, be practicing and doing what he can, and he's just made a theological shift. And and he had a while back, but that was kind of the thing that tipped him over the edge. And I would just encourage guys, maybe you didn't grow up in a home where, you, you know, there was any guns at all. But if you do come to the conclusion, no, I, I I have this obligation. And this happened for me. I said this in my talk happened for me when I was, we, we first had our son. So we get married. I'm sleeping with a machete by the bed and start to think when, when we have our son, our son's there now. So it's my wife and my, and ransom. And I started thinking, man, this is going to be a total bloodbath. If somebody breaks in and I'm just hacking away, you know, like and appendages here. And uh, it's going to be pretty brutal. I probably should do something about this. And so my first gun was a high point, nine millimeter. I went out and spent like 150 bucks for, for a high point. It's almost like a you know disposable gun, a throwaway gun. And I actually don't mind that gun. 
it's uh it's i think better than what a lot of people say high points are but uh it would be you know start doing some research start start, start thinking through okay what is it, what would that look like i mean even if, if physical training i mean if you want to go out and, and do physical training that's a great way to be able to be a protector of your home is start get, getting physically strong and uh just encourage guys to be thinking through it i mean this is your responsibility it is your obligation to be a protector and you cannot be a good protector if your aggression is coming out primarily through video games or wherever it may be you got to go somewhere you can get to the gym go out to the range and be the kind of man when the situation comes who's trained beforehand. You don't want to be the guy that regrets on the back back end of that, that you or your family got harmed because you weren't ready. You want to be as ready as you can and then trust the Lord with with whatever may come. Jared, where can our listeners uh, contact and reach you and find out more about you? Yeah, guys. Well, thanks so much again for this opportunity. It's an honor. If you guys want to find out more about the the, the ministry and what we do, the shepherdscrook.co, if you just Google the Shepherd's Crook, there's a ministry, an orphanage ministry in, in uh, England, I believe, that'll come up. But mine will be near the top, if not at the top, where you'll be able to look out, uh, look at information and also the podcast. And uh, we've got a Rites of Passage course that I'm working on right now for, for guys that might be interested. And uh, that's a tiered thing. People will be able to purchase that as a as a, actually like a small group uh, or a men's group resource or just behind a $5 paywall that kind of thing. And uh, and then have some cohorts that, from the past that people can access. Uh, but most of the stuff is on the website. Most of it's free. You can just check it out. And uh, if you want to reach me, just find a way to DM me. It's all over the place. You'll be able to figure that out. Great. Great. Thank you again uh, for joining us, Jared. And thank you, listeners, for listening to Death and Glory podcast. I hope this episode edified you. Uh, please take a moment to go to your favorite podcast platform and like and review the episode and even share it with your friends. If you're a fan of the show and like to support Death and Glory, please visit our Patreon page. Search Patreon slash Puritan Pub Media. Thanks, Jared. Thanks, guys. It's a lot of fun. Nope, don't want to do that. Cancel.